are a lot of other things that create disparities. These are things like being disabled, your gender identity, your sexual identity or orientation, your ability to speak the same language as those around you, even your geographic area of residence, your environment or your built environment. With the overuse and incorrect use of antibiotics, some strains of bacteria have evolved to become resistant to the drugs. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon stated that superbugs are a fundamental threat to global health and safety. This is Skinny Trees, an exploration of health inequities in and around Chicago, Episode 1. Hi guys, welcome to the Skinny Trees Podcast. We're so excited that you could join us on today for our first episode. My name is Shania. And my name is Jen. And we're your host for the podcast. And so Jen's going to pipe in and tell us what today's episode is about and what you guys can expect from Skinny Trees. Yeah, thanks. So this podcast was inspired by Chicago Check. Chicago Check stands for the Chicago Cancer Health Equity Collaborative, and it's a collaboration between the University of Illinois at Chicago, Northwestern University, and Northeastern Illinois University to basically get a group of folks together to advance cancer health equity through science, through research, through education, and through the engagement of the community. And so while Chicago Check is focused mainly on cancer disparities, we, we realized that a podcast would be an innovative platform to really furthering the conversation about health disparities in general, not just cancer disparities, but health disparities. And so this podcast will look at health disparities, or how we also call them health inequities, at the local level, so at in, in and around Chicago, and then hopefully we can branch out and talk about these different conversations at the national level as well. And since this podcast is inspired by Chicago Check, um, there's going to be a reoccurring theme of people from Northeastern Illinois University, Northwestern University, and University of Illinois at Chicago, and these people will be represented in the form of professors, educators, and researchers that will be talking about inequity in Chicago. We look to have students featured on every episode. This episode is going to be the beautiful Miss Dot N. Lee from Northeastern Illinois University, and she's going to be talking about five need-to-know health facts concerning your health. And so for the Following episodes, we're going to get your input because we want to know what you want to know. But today, we're going to have Diane come in and tell us what she thinks is important for you guys to know. That's right. And we also really want to keep community at the forefront of this podcast. Community is such a large thing of Chicago Check. It's really what Chicago Check was built built from or built around. And so we're going to keep community at the forefront. We're going to, in every podcast episode, try to have a community member or a community-based organization representative or a student who's very actively involved in um, community happenings be on our podcast episodes. So community is really going to be at the forefront of Skinny Trees. Awesome. And so I don't know if we have any other sort of bookkeeping things to talk about, but we're excited to actually get into the episode. 
Um, so we talked a lot about inequity and disparity, and these are sort of big words that traditionally you may or may not know the definition of. So um, today's episode is really about laying a good foundation about inequity and what that word really means um, to the community, to our community and our listeners at large. So mm-hmm. um, we're excited about the guests that we have on the show today. So Jen, did you want to tell us who we have, like this magnificent lady? Dr. Melissa Simon is a professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Preventive Medicine, and Medical Social Sciences. She is the co-program leader of Cancer Control and Survivorship at the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Simon's work is aimed at eliminating health inequities amongst low-income populations, and she is also the director of the Chicago Cancer Health Equity Collaborative, also known as Chicago Check. We are so excited to have Dr. Melissa Simon on the show. Let's go to the episode. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is really exciting. We're, we're excited to have you. We know that your schedule is super busy, so we're honored to even have you in the studio today. Um, you're also very, very inspirational. Um, I know for all of us here on the team and externally, and most recently, we heard you give a talk to high school students, and you mentioned The House on Mango Street, which is a 1984 classic by Sandra Cisneros. Um, And specifically, you talked about the excerpt about four skinny trees. So I'm going to read a little bit of an excerpt here. Um, Cisneros is quoted saying, When I am too sad and too skinny to keep keeping, when I am a tiny thing against so many bricks, then it is I look at trees. When there is nothing left to look at on this street, four who grew despite concrete, four who reach and do not forget to reach, four whose only reason is to be and be. This part of the book really resonated with us and the content of this podcast, so we decided to name the podcast Skinny Trees. And so we would like you to talk a little bit about what part, what this part of the book means to you and how it resonates with your work. Thank you very much. Uh, This is one of my favorite all-time books. I love Sandra Cisneros. And uh, this passage, uh, when I first read it, Um, completely resonated with me and connected me back to my own past and upbringing and to my passion to improve health equity uh, for everyone um, and especially in Chicago and in the United States and globally. The four skinny trees represent people in my mind who, um, and especially children like myself, who grew up in an area where opportunity wasn't necessarily very visible and hope wasn't necessarily very visible. And yet, no matter what, uh, somehow the resilience and the true grit um, and true character and passion in these children just kept shining through and their persistence to succeed despite the concrete, despite the barriers, despite the lack of seeds of opportunity planted were just so important and just help these children to thrive um, and now be successful was really important to me, Um, especially personally coming from the bottom 1% in Detroit and climbing all the way up to a full tenured professorship and and endowment. 
um, in my professional career is really important that I give back and make sure that I help plant seeds of opportunity across Chicago and especially with children and youth growing up um, and all the projects and programs that my team does really do focus on planting seeds of opportunity and helping to improve the architecture and design by which we do research here from our ivory tower at Northwestern and how we can truly impact health inequities across Chicago to make population health a reality. Wow, that was that is such an amazing perspective and yes, if for anyone who has not read this book, it's called The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros, please make sure to check it out. Um, Dr. Simon, you talk a little bit about health inequities, we, we've heard the term health disparities. Can you talk a little bit um, about these terms and sort of define it for our audience so that they can have a clear understanding or as clear of an understanding as they can on what these, these different terms mean? I'd love to elaborate more on that for your listeners. This is a loaded question with a lot of historical structure and theory, so I really encourage your listeners to dive deep into learning more but I'll try to keep my answers succinct. The idea of a disparity is basically that there is a gap between one group and the next. So if a health outcome, say for example cancer, is seen to a greater or lesser extent in one population of individuals compared to another population of individuals, then that is classified as a health disparity. Usually health disparities are seen when we, are, when we start looking at differences in demographics. So differences between white people compared to African-American people in socioeconomic status or socioeconomic position. So differences between rich compared to poor. Um, what we sometimes don't think about is that there are a lot of other things that create disparities. These are things like being disabled, your gender identity, your sexual identity or orientation, your ability to speak the same language as those around you, even your geographic area of residence, your environment or your built environment, or your, even your active environment or working environment. All of these things impact the disparities that persist. Yeah, and so I just want to chime in because we know that this is such a loaded um, question in such a large area of knowledge. So we are definitely going to put some resources on our website for those listeners who want to learn more. So um, the listening audience out there, please make sure to take a look at our resources page for more on that. Um, I really want to dive deeper into this though because this is these terms and, and these concepts are really setting up the path for future episodes and it's the main theme for skinny trees. Um, and so, like I said, we often hear equity linked with disparities or inequity. Can you talk specifically about that piece? I'm so glad you asked because I actually prefer the term or phrase health equity and health inequity. Um, health equity is the positive side of thinking about disparities. It's also the more um, important side, especially with the policy and social justice angle. Um, so let's first think about what equity means. And I love using the following analogy. Okay. so. There are three little children watching a baseball game. It doesn't matter what their gender or color is or what kind of clothes they're wearing um, or what their hair looks like, just that there are three of them and they're eager to see the game. But there's a fence in front of all of them and the game is taking place just beyond the fence. We notice a problem in that none of them are actually tall enough to see over the fence. Someone sees them struggling to see over the fence and actually gives them all a wooden box to stand on. 
So they hop onto the boxes and um, they are really excited because now they get the chance to see the baseball game. But one of the children still cannot see because, well, he's short and his box is still not high enough to enable him to see over the fence. The other two children are taller, and so with a small amount of help from standing on the box, they're able to see. But the third child needs an even taller box to make up for his small size. This is called equality, which means everyone, regardless of who they were, was given the same sized wooden box in an effort to make their situation better. But if we were being equitable, thinking about equity instead of equality, we would have done things differently. We would have given the children what they needed to improve their individual situation. So we would have been mindful that the third child needs a taller box to stand on because he's shorter, while the other two children are okay with the smaller wooden boxes. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So, so basically what you're saying is that whomever gave these three children in the boxes, they were being positive and they were taking a look at the situation, but perhaps they weren't being mindful enough. Yes, and so if we've done that, then everyone would be able to then see over the fence and enjoy the baseball game. Wow, that's really such a great analogy. Um, I think that this really just translate and translates into us just doing more, like not going above and beyond. So often we think just giving a blanket a solution to everyone really is enough, but we have to go in and see what are the tailored opportunities to actually give people, individuals, what they need. So thank you so much for that, Dr. Simon. Um, exactly. Um, and so these are the differences in, in inequities. And what we really want to think about in, in for the state of the state in terms of improving health equity across populations, what are the disparities between the disparities? is what I'm trying to say. And that's an important analogy to really keep in mind when you're really thinking about um, inequities and health. Wow, uh, thank you so much for those explanations. So I wanna get a little bit more local with our conversation. So as I was driving to work this morning, I was listening to NPR and they were saying how today is the grand opening and party celebration of the Whole Foods in Inglewood. And there's also gonna be a Starbucks right there. So I was literally thinking to myself, I mean, there are some pros and cons. So is opening a Whole Foods in a, in a food desert, is that one of those kind of layers of interventions that you've been mentioning? I think there's some great positive light um, that is uh, being shed by the opening of Whole Foods in that area. Now, do I think that it is probably the best grocery store option for um, any area to start with? It's expensive, so I really hope Whole Foods figures out how they can partner with the community to make um, their wonderful, healthy food choices and options affordable. You know, making sure um, link cards, which are um, our food stamp program, uh, be accepted and widely known across the community that they are accepted at Whole Foods. Making sure that there are good sales and um, opportunities and tastings and demonstrations and a really good amount of activity outside of the grocery store itself from the Whole Foods staff and from the Whole Foods team, especially the leadership, to go out into the community and spread the word about healthier food options. Not just have people come into the four walls of the Whole Foods, but have Whole Foods go out and really change up the paradigm and transform 
how not only how Whole Foods interacts with communities, but how grocery stores can actually provide an important resource to communities to transform healthier lifestyles and transform populations. And so this is a real opportunity. Um, Starbucks too. Um, Starbucks is not cheap. It is an ex it's an expensive habit, um, and yes, it is. <laughs> um, you know it, it is not necessarily an unhealthy habit, but it is depending on what you put in your coffee drink, mm -hmm. um, and uh, especially frappuccinos. But that's another conversation. Right. <laughs> what I really appreciate about um, about Starbucks and the Whole Foods is that they're hiring people from the community. I would challenge Starbucks and Whole Foods to make sure that they're helping everybody who enters their workforce from the community to actually move up and to not just stay as a barista or as a factory worker producing the sleeves for the cups, but has an, a ladder for opportunity to move up. Because what that does is then helps create opportunity, economic opportunity, human capital, social capital, and economic resilience for families across um, these neighborhoods that could really use it. And so I actually want to challenge Whole Foods and Starbucks um, to do exactly that. And I thank them for, for opening stores in Englewood, but I want to see them do more. So the challenge is on. That's awesome. That's very true. Can you talk a little bit more about the landscape of inequity in Chicago? Oh, you're asking me all these loaded questions today. <laughs> um, <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> um, you know, Chicago's really diverse. And, and actually, um, I used to work in the Chicago Department of Public Health a long time ago before I went to medical school. And I worked in uh, the Department of epidemiology with a Dr. Stephen Whitman who taught me everything I know about Chicago neighborhoods and about the 77 very distinct community areas that really contributes to what makes Chicago so unique and wonderful. Um, Chicago is the third most populous city in the country. It is also um, one of the most diverse in the United States and it has the second largest African-American population by numbers in the United States and the fifth largest Latino population in the United States. Um, the thing about Chicago, though, um, is that we, we do have so much going for us. It's a very beautiful city. It's a very livable city. It has a wonderful lakefront, uh, some great things to the city, and a lot of character, for sure, across the city. But at the same time, it's one of the most segregated major metropolitan areas in the country. I want to say that again, it's one of the most segregated uh, metropolitan areas in the country. And, and so we see that perhaps we have those wonderful neighborhoods, but again, we have to go back to history. We can't forget history. And, and history of Chicago and the social policies that have occurred um, throughout time have motivated the segregation of our neighborhoods. Um, and I won't go into all of that now because that's another story and several stories for other days. And I really want other people across Chicago to weigh in on this podcast and, and help us uh, really detail that story. We also know um, that Chicago has a lot of poverty. One in five Chicagoans live in poverty, and, and actually one in, ten of those, one in 10 of all Chicagoans actually live in what we call deep poverty, which means their income is actually less than half 
that of the federal poverty level, so really low income. And it, for example, what that means in 2015 numbers is uh, deep poverty would be for an individual um, making $5,885 per year or less. And for a family of four, that would be less than $12,125 per year. So really deep poverty. And this deep poverty is concentrated in African-American neighborhoods primarily. Um, so it creates a dilemma because if we have high rates of segregation um, amongst our neighborhoods and a lot of people who are low income, then we have, um, we have pockets of uh, low income homogenous areas where people most likely don't have quality access to resources, resources like health care, access to healthy food, green spaces to actually go out and take a walk without fear of, of being shot or being involved in some violent act. Um, and the list goes on. So those are really important considerations to think about. Mm -hmm. Wow, those statistics were astonishing. Um, and, and yes, yeah, so when we think about sort of where the key resources of the city are going, it does make sense to think that they really do kind of go where the money is. And I guess sort of further just perpetuates the cycle of uh, you know, not, not great access to care and food and everything else that you mentioned. Correct. And so we see this in health outcomes across the city. And we know that when you don't have access to quality health care, um, or any health care for that matter, and this can be at any phase of the care continuum, you know, like insurance status, for example, you can't get an appointment. Um, and the closest clinic may not offer the services you need, or you may not be able to speak the languages that the, the clinic offers, and then there's a disconnect. Or you have a, a job, which is really important to get food on the table, to care for you and your family, to keep the electricity on, et cetera, et cetera, but you can't take off work. And the clinic only has appointments during work hours. Um, and so what we have is that you don't have access to having the best possible opportunities to attain, achieve, and maintain health. And, and that's, that's where the problem lies. And when we look at neighborhoods and uh, incidence and prevalence rates of, of cancer and uh, mortality rates or death rates for breast cancer, for example, or prostate cancer or lung and colon cancer, and we look at where those um, mortality rates are occurring in a higher proportion than to other areas in, in Chicago, we see that consistently community areas where there are a higher proportion of low-income people and especially um, African-American populations have a higher rate of mortality from across all of these cancers compared to other community areas that are higher resourced or have higher levels of income or have more proportions of white populations. These are, these are not fair. These are differentials that exist. Um, we know that in general, low-income minority neighborhoods have cancer mortality rates twice that of national averages. And we know that African-American and Latina women have higher rates of HIV and AIDS. We also know that across lower-income populations, um, and especially uh, populations in Chicago that are minority, have lower levels of health literacy, meaning understanding basic health concepts. 
We also know from the reproductive health world and obstetric world where, where I tend to live in for my clinical practice is that there are lower rates of prenatal care availability in the first trimester, meaning in the very first beginning of pregnancy. Um, among women who are lower income, and especially Latina women and African American women. We also know that there are lower access to um, clinical trials in, in minority and lower um, income populations. And finally, we have uh, lower birth weights and higher preterm births among African American and Puerto Rican women in Chicago. Wow, and this is really what you've laid out is really the motivation behind why we want to do Skinny Trees. Um, but with so many disparaging statistics, we really want to talk about, is there a silver lining? We certainly hope so. Um, so we um, want you to talk a little bit about how we're currently combating or making efforts to improve health disparities. I know you're doing amazing work and you're also like a baby catcher, like whenever you can be, which is amazing. Um, so talk a little bit about that. I love catching babies. Uh, actually, I teach catching babies, and I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world, um, next to, of course, being with my children and family. But seriously, in Chicago, we are um, still very much so in our infancy when it comes to combating health inequities. Um, we are making strides, though. A lot of us, there's a lot of people across Chicago, both in in academic institutions like, like Northwestern, um, and also there are many people across community organizations, across uh, the departments of public health, both in the city of Chicago and in Cook County and at the Illinois Department of Public Health level. There's just a wide variety of people across multiple sectors that are working to try to make health that are working to try to make people healthier and to try to eliminate health inequities. Um, on a national level, we actually have uh, something called Healthy People 2020, which is a 10-year agenda set to improve the nation's health. Uh, it's released by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and includes over a thousand objectives to help move the nation's health towards goals or benchmarks. And one of them is actually to eliminate health disparities, as they say. Another is to address the social determinants of health and improve access to quality health care and strengthen public health services. Specifically in Chicago, um, there is something called Healthy Chicago 2.0, where the city, led by the Chicago Department of Public Health, sets similar objectives to improve Chicago's health. Oh, thank God. It's so good to hear that people are sort of making an effort to improve these things, and those initiatives do sound promising. And it does sound like hopefully we're on our way to improving health inequities. Um, and it's at the forefront of all of these programs, which is really nice to see. Yes, very much so. Um, for example, my team's focus is on, is on several programs that are partnered with communities that have lower resources across the city of Chicago um, that really works with the communities in partnership to try to tackle health inequities one by one. Um, but there definitely is a lot more work to do. Um, we, we have to work towards changing the architecture and the design of how we partner, of how we do research, um, and how we collaborate. And one really great source of wealth and resources that I really believe we should leverage more is that we have so many wonderful academic institutions across the city. And, and we in academic 
institutions, although have to get grants and outside funding um, from wonderful donors and from places like the National Institutes of Health that have really benefited teams like mine. Um, but we have to think about what other resources we have at these institutions that can really help with community. I mean, we in academic institutions do have social justice missions, and in academic hospitals, absolutely, we have to interact with our catchment area in a meaningful way. And, and I take that mission really seriously, and I think that there are resources like schools of law being able to provide legal aid, business schools being able to provide programs to help with management and leadership from across different sectors and across community organizations. Um, schools of education being able to really provide and create unique tools and resources to help Chicago public school teachers and other school teachers in other systems to actually improve um, the efficiency through which they create um, syllabi and plan um, plans for classrooms and homeworks and 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 just build resources and toolkits like the one that we created on my massive open online course career 911 your future job in medicine and healthcare that helps teachers actually um, uh, allow students to walk through uh, creating their own career portfolios their resumes cover letters practicing interview questions and just thinking about their values and how that aligns with their career choices um, to, to let them walk through it on their own and then they can actually, the student who's participating in the online course, which is for free through Coursera, can bring in a draft to their career counselor or their teacher and, and that is much easier to edit and help students move forward um, than if they had to start with blank paper. But there are so many things that we can do from uh, the resources and knowledge base and um, position of academic institutions and academic medical centers that can help the community that we haven't even begun to tap into. So I really believe in that. And one other really great example is the Chicago Cancer Health Equity Collaborative, which we just received funding for in September 2015 from the National Cancer Institute, which is a collaborative that really seeks to break up the paradigm, to change it up so that we can transform how institutions partner with each other and, and improve research, education, and training in partnership with multiple communities across Chicago. This is a collaborative that joins the University of Illinois at Chicago, Northeastern Illinois University, and Northwestern University, and our cancer center, um, the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center, together. And what we are doing through this funding is creating new ways of seeding grants and research that is partnered across the three institutions equally in and with community partners. And, and instead of saying equally, I should say equitably. And also we have created new ways of education and training. Um, one great example is our Chicago Czech uh, Research Fellows Program, which is for undergraduates across the city. Uh, this year, for example, we had 15 uh, students uh, from across Northeastern University of uh, Northeastern Illinois University, the University of Illinois Chicago, Northwestern University, and Chicago City Colleges, who came together for an eight-week intensive program to really learn health equity-related research. 
and community partners um, were wonderful contributors to that uh, program as well as faculty from across these institutions. And we were able to successfully uh, plant the seed of opportunity for a research-related career and for a community-oriented related career um, in health for these students. And many of them have stayed on and attached to research projects on, that are ongoing. Um, so these are just examples of what we can do to improve health equity across Chicago. And I look forward to inviting many of my Chicago Czech community partners and collaborators across these institutions and some students to talk more about their work. And we're excited about having many of your partners on this podcast. And so we just want to thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Simon. Um, your work has really inspired a lot of the content for this podcast. Yeah, we're so happy to be a part of this conversation, and we're really excited to share this information and these stories with our listeners. And um, everyone stay tuned, because a lot of this is going to just continue on into season one. So thank you so much, Dr. Simon, for being on our first episode. Thank you for having me. It's time for Health 5 in 5. Five health-related topics you should know in five minutes. And I am Da In Lee. Let's start with a hot topic, Zika virus. According to the latest update from the Center for Disease Control, Zika, which is spread mostly by the bite of an infected Aedes species mosquito, can also be transmitted sexually, even if the infected person does not have symptoms at the time. Zika virus infection during pregnancy can cause certain birth defects such as microcephaly, where a baby's head is much smaller than expected. CDC now recommends that men with possible exposure to Zika virus wait at least six months before having condomless sex to minimize their risk for sexual transmission of Zika virus to their partners. Unfortunately, there is no vaccine to prevent Zika right now. Currently, the best way to protect you, your partner, your family, your friends from Zika is to prevent mosquito bites, to check travel notices in case the country you're traveling to has Zika outbreaks, and to use contraceptives during sex. The next topic talks about the importance of investing in health workers. A really cool video produced by the World Health Organization, International Labor Organization, and Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development calls for an action to transform the global health workforce by maximizing the participation of women in healthcare focusing on lifelong training, and expanding access to health services for universal health coverage. This is especially important because we will be facing a shortfall of 18 million health workers by 2030. We need to take action to address this issue. Healthcare workers, from scientists in their labs to field researchers, doctors, and caretakers, work around the clock to keep the people back on their feet, back to work making the economies grow and keep the world moving toward a better place. Check out the video to learn more about what we can do to invest and support health workers. Next up, we can see the investment in the health workers in the works. 
The Telegraph interviewed Xu Lam, a PhD student at the University of Melbourne, who may have found our next weapon against superbugs. With the overuse and incorrect use of antibiotics, some strains of bacteria have evolved to become resistant to the drugs. UN Secretary General Ban Ki Moon stated that superbugs are a fundamental threat to global health and safety. But Lam and her group have discovered a very small star-shaped protein chains that can kill these superbugs by breaking apart the cell wall of the bacteria. This breakthrough can save the world economy of estimated 100 trillion dollars that are associated with superbug-related healthcare by 2050. In the next news, we'll look into a novel way to approach the issues of violence in Chicago. Chicago Tribune reported a sad concerning statistics showing homicides in Chicago breaking a 20-year record and 90 killings last August. To address this issue, Dr. Garth Graham, the president of the Aetna Foundation and former Deputy Assistant Secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services, encourages the researchers and policymakers to treat violence as a public health issue that is preventable and curable disease that can be tackled through analyzing existing evidence identifying risk factors and preventative measures, and creating grassroots programs at the community level. To read more about Dr. Graham's proposal, check out the link on our website. And lastly, with a cold autumn wind creeping in, I wanted to close this segment with a quick reminder about the flu shots from the CDC. Flu vaccination can reduce flu illnesses, doctor's visits, and miss work in school due to flu, as well as prevent flu-related hospitalizations. The more people who get vaccinated, the more people will be protected from flu, including older people, very young children, pregnant women, and people with certain health conditions who are more vulnerable to serious flu complications. So make sure to get a flu shot this season. If you found the topics interesting, you can find more information on the topics covered in this episode's Health 5 and 5 on our Skinny Trees podcast website. in for that great segment. The 5 and 5 segment, or 5 health facts in 5 minutes, is one that we would definitely like to make part of our regular episodes. Uh, for more information that was mentioned in the 5 and 5 segment, or other resources like links, show notes, what's going to be on our future episodes, please head over to our website, which is www.skinnytreespodcast.com. We also really want to make this podcast listener-led, so we want to know what you want to hear and how you're liking our content, so definitely please feel free to send us a quick email at skinnytreespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and um, I do want to give another thank you to Dr. Simon. She did a really great job um, of framing health inequity in our city. So thanks again for coming by. And lastly, one of the most amazing parts of this podcast that I'm most excited about is our community interaction. And so we want to hear from you guys. And so we're experimenting with music, uh, in terms of our theme music for the podcast. So if any of you are artists, musicians, poets, please submit your material um, via the methods that Jen just told you about. 
because you can and probably will be featured on Skinny Trees Podcast. And so before we go, we want to give a shout out to Elizabeth Breen. Elizabeth Breen was a summer fellow, a summer research fellow with the Chicago Czech program, and she is currently a student at the University of Illinois at Chicago. So the song you heard throughout the episode in the beginning is called The Heat, and it's off of her album called Having Stuff and Being Pretty. Um, she is very beautiful, by the way. Um, it can be purchased through bandcamp.com, and we're going to put a link to the album on our website, which again is skinnytreespodcast.com. So guys, please go out, support Elizabeth's music. She's doing great, great things. And so we're done for the day. And before we go, we just want to tell you, remember to be kind, be different, and be great. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions of the following entities. National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, Northwestern University, Northwestern Medicine, the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center, University of Illinois at Chicago, and Northeastern Illinois University. Due to the social nature of this podcast, the content used might be copyrighted by another entity or person. This podcast claims no copyright to said content.